the title of my sermon this morning is The Word Among Us, The Word Among Us. Um, I don't know if you ever seen that movie, Aladdin. I mean, I have seen it way more times than I should have ever had to see a movie. It's, it's really sad, the number of movies I've had, to, a number of Disney movies I've had to see, right? So we see this movie, Aladdin, and there's a scene in Aladdin where Jasmine, the princess, sneaks out of the castle, and she's, you know, intermingling and hanging out, and next thing you know, she comes across, um, um, comes across Aladdin, and, and the moral of that story is that's why you keep your... your your princess is locked up in the basement for as long as possible because they're going to go find Aladdin if you're not careful. Uh, but what you might be thinking is, how in the world does that ever happen? That's what I thought, right? I mean, when, when in the world, like, what would, keep, what would cause someone who's, who's of noble birth or royal or rich or whatever, what would make them want to interact with mankind, interact with other people? Well, guess what? It's happened before. May 8, 1945 was VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. The Allied armies, or whatever you call them, um, won against Germany. Germany had surrendered, so the war in Europe was over. It was still taking place in Japan and in Asia, but the war in Europe was over. And as a result, people were celebrating. And one of the locations that was, the celebration was the biggest was in London, in, in, in the United Kingdom. I mean, that's where the war had been, so, been felt so, um, so fervently, so, so, so extremely. You know, so they were happy. Their surrender, the Germans had surrendered. Their war was done. Their men were coming home. There was a lot to be excited about. That night, London erupted with celebration, and amongst the celebratory individuals, the celebrants or whatever you want to call them, I don't know what word I'm trying to use, the people celebrating in the streets of London were two very unexpected individuals, 19-year-old Princess Elizabeth and 14-year-old Princess Margaret, the children of King George VI, who also happened to be uh, Elizabeth, of course, is the current queen of the United Kingdom. Following giving a speech to the country on the radio, this was a very difficult thing for the man to do because he had a, a speech problem. He stammered a lot. So it, it was hard for him to give the speech. But right after that speech, he had an even more difficult thing to deal with. And that, of course, was his two teenage daughters who wanted more than anything to be a part of the celebration. Of course, the two girls went out and were allowed to experience the joy and happiness which was surrounding Buckingham Palace. They weren't alone, though. There were 16 members of the royal family, the, the household, or whatever you want to call it, um, with them. So they were, they were quite thoroughly surrounded by other people. Uh, the group made the way to the front of Buckingham Palace where they saw their mother and father, the king and queen, come out upon the balcony and wave to the crowds. Princess Elizabeth, now of course Queen Elizabeth II, said regarding the experience that the night was one of the most, most memorable nights of my life. The queen continued, we cheered the king and queen on the balcony and then walked miles through the streets. I remember lines of unknown people linking arms and walking down Whitehall. All of us just swept along in, on a tide of happiness and relief. So how does this tie into the Christmas story? We're going to look at a verse today that's often forgotten about amongst Christmas uh, verses, and that's John chapter 1, verse 14. And that verse is going to talk to us about how God came to earth and dwelt among humanity. In the same way that Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret, as well as, I guess, Princess Jasmine and Aladdin, intermixed with mankind, our God in heaven did the same. And there's a lot that we can praise him for that. So, Jesus, God in the flesh, was and is amongst mankind. But before we go any farther ahead of ourselves, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. Bless us now as we prepare to enter your word. Allow us to... Understand what you have to say today. 
what, what this one verse in the book of John has to say about your birth and about the overall plan that you had from day one to save mankind. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Turn to me to John chapter 1, verse 14. Like I said, most people don't think of this verse as a Christmas verse, but it, I think it clearly is. Um, so John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to go ahead and read the verse, and then that is my text for today, and then we'll get right into things. So John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in studying this verse, in studying John chapter 1, verse 14, I want to point out three things about the first advent of Christ, about the first coming of Jesus. First of all, Jesus, the Word of God, became human, became human. As the beginning of the verse says, and the Word became flesh. So the, in, 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 in Greek, in the situation here, this, the, the Word, the Word for Word, literally is in reference to Christ. It, that's why we say God's word is God's word, because God's word is literally the words of God. These are the words of Jesus. So Jesus, the word, became flesh. Being human isn't necessarily an easy thing. I mean, any of you guys, I mean, I think I talked to a couple of you talking about back problems and different ailments that you're going through, and with it being cold, it doesn't get any better. You're just unhappy. Sometimes you're just not feeling very good. You know, our human bodies just start getting mad at us when we eat something wrong or when we're getting tired or whatever it is. You know, Tabitha likes to say, I get hangry, so we just combine the two. You know, when, when, you're, when you're just all out in a bad mood or whatever, right? So being human isn't always a fun thing. So can you imagine, for whatever purpose, God chose to come to this earth and become human? Now, this is not saying that Jesus lost his divinity. This is a very important theological principle. What took place when Christ came to earth, born through Mary, was the addition of humanity without the subtraction of divinity. That's a very important theological principle. Jesus didn't just come to earth. He wasn't just, or he didn't just, you know, Jesus is more than a man, is the point. He added humanity without getting rid of his godliness, without getting rid of his divinity. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to, 5 to 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which, is, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, Jesus didn't merely come to earth as God. He came to earth as man, which I think is amazing. This is essential because we cannot relate to God the Son, but you can relate to Jesus the man. I mean, right, if you think of it, you can relate and sympathize with what Jesus is going through, what he went through, because you go through it. Jesus felt the same emotions that we feel. He had the same health issues that we have. I mean, to some level. Jesus fought through the same temptations that we fight through. Jesus did this so that we, humankind, might be free from the bondage of our sins. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. 
You see, God the Son, Jesus Christ our Savior, became one of us. But what causes us to relate to him even more is the fact that not only did he become one of us, but he also interacted with us, which is my next point. So the Word, Jesus the Word, became human. Jesus the Word also dwelt amongst humanity. Dwelt among humanity. Again, the verse, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I would, again, I would think that living in heaven is much better than living in earth. I mean, right, bottom line, right? When you're in heaven, heaven's got to be better than earth. That's, that's it. That's why we're all, that's where we're all headed eventually, right? I mean, think of all the stresses that you have to deal with. Now think about how Jesus chose to partake in those stresses as well. I mean, again, hypothetically, we can't say that Jesus went, went through exactly what we went through, but the, the, he went through other things that are comparable, I mean, Jesus walked upon this earth. He dealt with family members. He dealt with frustrations. Uh, I mean, he, to some level, he was a carpenter. He was 30 years old when he started his ministry, so he must have worked with his father to some level. So he might have had that irritating co-worker. I don't know if you have an irritating co-worker, but Jesus might have had that irritating co-worker. He had irritating co-workers in Christ. One of them betrayed him. The other one denied knowing him three times. So Jesus can understand when you're frustrated with someone at work. Jesus also dealt with many of the same frustrations that you might feel even in his morning commute. Now, that, again, that might be difficult. My dying here is, again, you know, your morning commute might be stressful. There are times I wish I can just, like Moses, part, this, part the highway. You know, just put my hands up and, and just everyone out of the way. Here I come. But it doesn't work that way. My point is Jesus went through similar things. He struggled because he is like us. He dwelt amongst humanity, meaning he dwelt and dealt with humanity. He felt many of the same frustrations that you feel with your family members. I don't know about you, but I feel frustrations with my family members sometimes. I'm pretty sure Jesus did. Here's a beautiful example of this. James wrote the, not the gospel, but the epistle, the letter in our New Testament was written by a man named James. And James is Jesus' brother. Um, of course, he's not Jesus. He's Jesus' half-brother, not full-brother, because Joseph and Mary are James's parents. Joseph is not Jesus' father. God in heaven is Jesus' father. James, along with his other brothers, did not know Christ as the Messiah until after Jesus died and rose again. Imagine living your entire life on this earth, and your own brother doesn't believe in you. And then I think about, for me, how I... I have a deep desire for some of my certain members of my family that God has put upon my heart that they may come to a deeper knowledge of Jesus or even a knowledge of Jesus altogether. God has put that upon my heart. And then I think about how Jesus must have felt with his siblings and how deep, because I mean, James as well as Jude. Jude is another book you hear about in the New Testament. We don't study it too frequently. It's a small little book in the New Testament. But that's another one of Jesus' half-brothers. These are people that interacted with Christ, that grew up with Jesus, that didn't believe anything he said until after the fact. He means pretty much like us today. These are people that did not believe in Jesus until after he died and rose again, just like all of us. Jesus' own brothers. I can imagine that Jesus was frustrated with his family as well. That's kind of my point. The point I'm getting at here is that Jesus dwelt and dealt with humanity. Not only did he become human in the flesh, he also became he also interacted with mankind. The Greek word used here for dwelt, or like dwelt as in dwelling place, literally means to pitch one's tent or tabernacle. I mean, you think about going camping, you pitch your tent. That was, a, I mean, they understood that terminology because of their past, because of the time that the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They would pitch their tents. Of course, from the perspective that we envision, it's living in a home, right? Jesus 
he came and he, and he set up residence. When Tab and I moved here, we purchased a house, we changed our car registration. We did all the things you need to do in order to become Ohio residents and to become a part of the community. Imagine if I moved here but I didn't do any of that stuff. You wouldn't think I'd be sticking around very long. That, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth and he kind of set up camp. He set up camp and he, he made it his home. Earth is Jesus' home, which I, to me just makes, makes the whole Christmas story, makes everything that we celebrate and we worship and everything that we study, it makes it make more sense. This isn't just some random guy. This isn't just God who's in heaven. This is an individual who, who came to earth and could relate to us. We can relate to Jesus is the point. Jesus actually tells us that he was homeless. This is Luke. Uh, we're going to study this in a couple weeks in the Gospel of Luke. Come on. There it goes. Uh, Jesus said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus essentially literally pitched his tent every day. Maybe not literally pitched a tent, but he was camping every day. That's what Jesus did in the last three years of his life. A lot of times on the Mount of Olives. Jesus physically lived on this earth just as we do today. He dealt with many of the same stresses, frustrations, hardships, and burdens that we face. Because of this, we can relate to him. Because of this, we can turn to him when we face various trials. It is because of this that we can allow him to help carry our load. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, for me, the, the most powerful element of this verse, as well as all of the Bible, the whole Christmas story, is the fact that God chose to become human. And then not only to become human, because, you know, there's a lot of humans that don't deal with us. Again, and royalty, you don't ever get to, I'm not like I'm going to go, go meet the queen, or our president for that matter, or some political leader, or rich people. I'm not going to go get to meet them. They're humans, but they're not dwelling with me. Jesus is not only God in, in the flesh, he is human, he is also someone that dwelt with us, that we were able to interact with. Praise God for that. And as a result, that's why we have his word, of course. Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among mankind. But this would be all for nothing, it would be all meaningless if he didn't also show the glory of God, which is the third point. So again, Jesus, the word, um, became human, dwelt among humanity, and now put God's glory on display. Jesus put God's glory on display. I'm going to read all of verse 14 again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We, meaning John and his fellow disciples, saw the glory of God in Jesus. They witnessed this. Jesus proved that he was God. A lot of people who've lived on the earth, either right now, today, or in Jesus' time. A lot of people are what I would call extraordinary people. They're very talented people. I don't know. I don't really watch it, but that, uh, what's that show? America's Got Talent. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys watch that show. There's probably some pretty crazy people on that show. I mean, I've seen some stuff on YouTube. I mean, people that can do things that I just didn't think were possible. My point here is there are some very extraordinary people, but there's no other individual who's truly showing the glory of God the way Jesus did. Jesus was a lot more than just extraordinary. He was godly. And that, that's the beauty of it all here. 
Jesus demonstrated the glory of God through the life he lived, the miracles he performed, the sacrificial death he died, and the reconciling resurrection that he provided for us so that we can go to heaven when we die. Now, the final part of verse 14, oh, what did I do? I went too fast. The final part of verse 14 talks about how the glory of God, which Christ displayed, was full of grace and truth. That is, it was a gracious and truthful revelation. So the grace being revealed here by our Messiah, God, Jesus Christ, is the forgiveness of our sins. That's the, be- that's, the, that's the best way to understand grace. The grace he displayed was the grace of God that forgave us of our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 to 21. So then, as through one transgression... So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, um, but... Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. While sin might have come into this earth, sin might have came onto this earth when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Jesus brought righteousness upon this earth so that we no longer are held to the standard that our sins gave us, that our sins forced us to have, now we can turn to Christ and know that we are saved if we put our trust in Him. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Praise God for that. Now, truth here is in reference to the truthfulness of God, His love, and His gospel message. In a world today where the accuracy of the Bible and the biblical message is questioned, This verse is telling us that the glory of God sent to this earth through Jesus, our Lord and Messiah, is accurate and true. You can believe what this says. This is not just a bunch of random words. I'm not just telling you random stories. This is real. And we see this through the lives of different people. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Bottom line, you can be free in the truth that is in here. You can be free by putting your full trust in Christ for salvation. And then Jesus says so powerfully in in John chapter 14, verse 1 to 6, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In these two things, in grace and truth, the glory of God is revealed to all the earth. Bottom line, God came to earth in order to reveal his grace and truth to the world. We can turn towards the Lord and know that everything is going to be okay. Let me close up with this. I read an article a while ago about an 89-year-old man who, from Pennsylvania who got in his car, started driving, and several days later ended up in Alabama. 
I mean, he didn't know how he got there. He just ended up in Alabama. Here's the rest of it. Jody Tarbutton of Boothwin, I think it's Booth Y. Booth W-Y-N, Boothwind or something like that, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia, found, was found when he approached some police officers in a restaurant on Monday, December 19th of 2016. Uh, Tar Button asked them where he was and was stunned to hear that he was in Halesville, Alabama. Tar Button was taken to the police station where the officers figured out who he was and that he was missing for two days. They notified his family and got him medical attention. Tar Button's daughter, Gatta, of Wilmingham, Wilmington, Wilmington, Delaware, and who was actively searching for her father, said, we never, never, never expected to hear the news that he was in Alabama. Um, the daughter flew down to Alabama, drove him back, thank goodness, and, uh, I mean, and he, they got to have their Christmas miracle. Uh, while most of us have never been 900 miles away from home and lost, I'm pretty sure you might have been, but I don't know, most of us have never been in that situation. In reality, all of us at one point in our life have been spiritually lost. Every last one of us have found ourselves in a spiritual state of need. The Bible tells us that our sinful condition separates us from God and that we are lost because of our sinfulness, because of any sin you ever committed. All you needed was one, and you were lost because of that. But as my sermon today was supposed to tell you, our God is not some distant God who wants little to nothing to do with us. He loves us so much that he chose to come to this earth and be amongst us. God's love is so great that he came to earth for the main reason of saving you. Praise him for that. This story begins with Jesus' birth, but of course it doesn't end there. This is the beginning. I like to say Christmas is the beginning of our reconciliation with God. Christmas is the beginning of the atoning, sacrificial story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It began on Christmas Day <clears throat> with God coming to earth living and being born as a child in a, in a little manger in a stable with a bunch of animals, but it didn't end there. Because some 33 years later, it ended with Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. But of course, his life didn't end there, because he rose from the grave so that one day we can be in heaven as well. His resurrection is essential. So while you're celebrating Christmas, don't forget the real free gift is the salvation he gave you 33 years later. Let me close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. Bless us now as we um, do our best to focus on you and put our full trust in you this Christmas season. Help us know that you and you alone are the only way to heaven. You and you alone are the only gift we can ever possibly have. There's no gift that we can receive upon this earth this Christmas season that will ever come close to equaling the gift of salvation that you've offered us. Lord, help us know that all we need to do is turn our lives over to you and say, yes, Lord, I want you be Lord of my life, and we will be saved. I thank you and I praise you in your wonderful name. Amen.